today's programme, a de facto lockdown. The hospitality sector reacts to curfew to curb Omicron. Overcrowded hospitals and exhausted staff. We talked to the INMO's Phil Nihay. Are we needlessly exposing families to Omicron as by keeping schools open next week? What lessons need to be learned from the Brandon report? And can the government continue to stand over the mother and baby homes report? Good afternoon and welcome to Saturday with Katie Hannan. My panel today, Josefa Madigan, Fine Gael TD for Dublin Rathdown and Minister of State for Special Education and Inclusion. David Cullinan, Sinn Féin TD for Waterford and Spokesperson on Health. And Aon O'Reardon, Labour TD for Dublin Bay North and Spokesperson for Education, Enterprise and Trade. You can text us on 51551, email saturday at rte.ie or you can tweet to at Saturday RTE. Now, shock and devastation. That was the initial response from the hospitality sector to the announcement last night that pubs and restaurants must close at 8pm from this Monday until January 30th. I'm joined now by Adrian Cummins, CEO of the Restaurants Association of Ireland. Adrian, that three hour reprieve that you got uh, after those discussions yesterday, allowing restaurants to stay open until 8 rather than the initial 5pm closing recommendation. Will that make a practical difference to your members? Good afternoon, Katie. The 8pm curfew, and I need to explain to your listeners, it's 8pm off the premises. So the premises must be empty of all customers. That means that your final service will finish up at 7.30, pay the bill, and, uh, and out you get at 8pm. At 8 it's not viable for and financially viable for the vast majority of hospitality businesses, be it restaurants or pubs. Uh, to operate this new this new restriction, and that's why we've called it a de facto lockdown because it's 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 effectively the the restriction now will make sh- you know curtail our businesses so much that y- people will decide well will they bother opening or not, uh, and if they do open open they will only have one sitting, and that's not viable for and we all know that in hospitality so. We're now in the. We're now moved to the stage of two things. First of all, we have sixty thousand. We estimate staff that are going to lose their jobs on Monday. They need to be looked after quickly so they can get their payments before Christmas. So, when you say sixty thousand, like how much of the overall staff are you talking about there? Then you're talking about fifty to sixty percent of staff will be let go on, on Monday, and that is a hugely devastating um, impact on those families that are dependent on hospitality and here we go again a second Christmas a second time that this is happening to these 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 employees at a critical time in, in hospitality and we want to make sure that these these uh, staff members are looked after with immediate effect by the government and we we don't even know now what the business support scheme is for hospitality we we're being told it'll be announced on Monday we should be in talks with government over the weekend so we know exactly what's going to happen on Monday morning. You're six days out from Christmas. I mean... The yeah, can I... Well, the Thornishta last night at that press conference last night said that they're going to come up with a package of supports akin to what businesses received during previous level five lockdowns, which would have been what was available to your sector when you were only allowed to do outdoor dining. Yes, and uh, obviously we haven't seen the detail and as we know from previous experience over the last two years, when they announce business supports, there seems to be that certain businesses don't get those supports. We want to make sure that every business is entitled to get supports, get their supports uh, when they're announced. And it's, I, it's a matter of urgency because we're so close to Christmas. 
employers want to make sure their staff are looked after. They want to make sure their suppliers are paid. They want to make sure that they have a Christmas themselves. And this, to me, we're ca- we've been calling for what is the plan for living with COVID? We have to have a national conversation about how we live with COVID. But we have the boosters. We agree with that. The need should have been rolled out faster. Uh, but we need to know how can we have operate an economy with a hospitality economy and have a plan into the future. And, then, and how but, we but do a- that. Adrian Cummins, people will ask, like, what have you, you and your members done? Uh, in relation to, you know, ventilation, uh, organising uh, the air filtration in your in your premises to keep your staff and your customers safe. And surely, you know, we have to move along on from lo- these lockdowns and calls for, you know, emergency supports for your members to actually setting up your your, your sector now to, to, for this long war, as we're now uh, as we're now being told to regard it. Well, as. let me give you specific examples around what we have done as an industry. We've done everything we've been asked around around guidelines. COVID pass. We've been asked around uh, how we uh, our work workplace protocols, ventilation. That is part of the part of the guidelines that we must implement. And what I'm saying is, if we're in a long war, we need to prepare for a war, and we need to have the infrastructure in place that we cannot have this continuous shutdown, reopen, w- shutdown. Would you be in support of re- regulation, legislation now around clean air uh, standards in, in, in hospitality? Hospitality will, at this current time, we are open to anything that will try and keep our businesses open. We have to have a dialogue directly with the government around what is the plan. And there's no point in having a let's say at Neffet, over in the wings deciding. We've never, ever, ever met with the CMO, has have a briefing with them, have the courtesy to talk to our industry about the devastation that our industry is, is getting and has, 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 has upon this, this sector at the moment. You have families and people that are going to lose their jobs this, this, uh, this next week for a second time. I, I have to say that we have to start to look at this in a different perspective now. We need to look at the business supports. We need to look at how do we function as an economy and to live with COVID. <coughs> the Minister for Public or for Further Education and Higher Education, Simon Harris, said last week, we need to start to live with COVID. If we do, we need to make sure that we're going to have everybody part of that plan. And there has to be a plan. Okay, will you hold, stay on the line there, or stay, stay there, uh, Adrian. I want to bring in um, Minister Josepha Madigan on this. I think part of the reason anxiety is running so high, Minister, uh, this weekend is the roller coaster feel of last week. Because on Tuesday evening, we were all told uh, the mood in government buildings is calm, it had been a constructive meeting with the CMO. And then just before 11 pm on Thursday night, we have this dramatic leak, this really bleak news that uh, there is this recommendation for a 5 pm curfew. And then we had the spectacle of a stampede of uh, government party senators and backbenchers demanding uh, in social media that public health advice not be followed. Like, that's no way to run a pandemic response. Well, Katie, to address that specifically, uh, the last time I was on RT was last week um, and I, I said that I would prefer if NEFIT actually presented their recommendations to the sub-cabinet committee there and then um, to stop this type of leaking. As it turned out, the 5pm ended up being changed ultimately then to 8pm, um, which perhaps mightn't have caused as much furore. Um, and obviously, it's very difficult and it's difficult for the sector. And, and I know Adrian has pointed that out. Um, and I know that there will be engagement over the weekend uh, with Catherine 
Catherine Martin, the line minister and the Tónishta uh, in terms of supports um, and the business supports will be put in place. And I, you mentioned it yourself about the level five restrictions and the supports will, will you know, be commensurate with that level. Do you know or can we assure people that people, the staff, set aside the business, the, the owners of the businesses uh, for a minute, but the staff, people who would have been relying on, you know, tips and wages this week to get them through Christmas to maybe pay that ESB bill. When will they expect to get PUP payments now? Yeah, well, the PUP is open now. Um, at one point, there were 600,000 on it. There's now 60,000. That's there. Um, when it, will they it, get it's, paid? It's at, it's at the high level. Well, it's open. So, you know, if if they've been laid off, I mean, I think the Tornish said and Adrian himself said between 60 and 70,000 people will be laid off. Um, th- there's no question about that. They're going to need the PUP. The EWIS, you know, there's 5.8 billion that's already been paid in relation to that. It costs about 4.5 billion per year. The government has never been found wanting in terms of, of providing business support. Is it good enough? But it, it's, it's important that the details are announced and I think they will be announced after engagement over the weekend. But, it, yeah, but the point is they're not engaging over the weekend. Is it good well, enough to say we'll be back to you on Monday well, on that? Well, when, you, when you're looking at the devastation in the well, sector. No, my understanding is that, that Michael McGrath, the Tornishta and the Lion Minister, Catherine Martin, will be engaging with the sector over the weekend. Um, is that and your that understanding, Adrian? Well, look, we haven't received an invitation yet to any meeting over the weekend. Well, I suppose my, it was only last we're, night. We're, so. we're, we're, ready. we're ready. We're ready to meet with government at any minute, any time throughout the weekend to talk directly to them. But we would expect we'd have something in place to announce to the, to the, to the sector on Monday because time is ticking ahead of Christmas. Um, David Cullinan. Well, first of all, this is really frustrating for people and I don't believe there are any easy solutions. Uh, I'm certainly not pretending that this is a difficult situation for everybody, but most especially for all of those people who lose their jobs. And my heart goes out to them. Nobody wants to be in a situation where we see hospitality closing earlier, the consequences for jobs. But I think the frustration is also with government in relation to the lack of planning. And it's a case of here we go again, that the government cannot continue to say that they're getting caught out and they're not thinking about all of the different options and scenarios. I met, as did opposition spokespeople and party leaders yesterday with the CMO in effort, and I put it to Tony Hulhan directly. Did he consider all of the options for some time in relation to hospitality, inclu- including keeping it open, closing it in full and variations of that? And he said yes. And they went for the variation. Now, the government can say that they're getting caught on the hop all of the time. We've known that this variant was a concern for months, weeks. Uh, well, uh, no, well certainly weeks. Now, we've only known but, about Omicron no, no, for, but, but for it has uh, been, But certainly for weeks. Yeah, weeks. but no, more than that, I would say. But certainly for, for those number of weeks, there has been a lot of speculation that this is going to be difficult. It was classed as a variant but, of but concern. Yeah, you keep bear, voting bear, against emergency legislation, but bear, David, bear, to your party. But bear with me. The point is that you cannot then say you're caught on the hop. It is absolutely ridiculous that when you announce restrictions like this, that you don't have the supports put in place at that point. And it's really frustrating for Adrian and his members not to have the supports in place. And by the way, what I voted against, and I rightly voted against giving this government a blank cheque in relation to emergency powers, I support the public health advice, unlike some of the government representatives who are like hares running out onto the plinth yesterday to criticise the very 
necessarily public health measures which they then supported. I waited until I got the 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 opinion. The the health advice. We um, do support the health advice. You flip flop consistently. You're incoherent. um, It's not consistent. And give me one example of what public health advice. You have the Northern Ireland approach and the and the Irish. But give me one example of what public health support. Consistently voted against the public health emergency legislation. Emergency policy or government. Absolutely. Mandatory health. That's not public health. That that would actually help keep this mitigate this variant. We're not going to give a blank check to a disastrous government. That's for sure. I want to bring uh, Eon O'Reardon in on this. Yeah. Well, the last thing I think we need is a party political squabble. To be honest, because I think anybody listening here is probably a bit depressed already. Uh, uh, after what has been announced uh, yesterday. And I think, in fairness, Netflix don't want to be making recommendations like these and government don't want to be making announcements like these. I think, in fairness to everybody, what do you do if you are in a position of authority and you're given projections of somewhere between 10, perhaps possibly 20,000 cases a day in January? And I know government are spooked by what happened this time last year when they didn't listen to the public health advice and we had a January... Um, that all and of us want to forget. And the February and the March and the we want to forget. Now, it was a different scenario in that we didn't have a vaccination programme um, at that stage. I do feel government could have worked better, as Duncan Smith has said, in terms of the booster campaign previous to this. I think that would have put us in a better position. But I have to agree with what, what David has said. You know, if the announcement had been made, a balanced announcement, and look, these restrictions are coming in and here's the rationale for it, but he, what we are absolutely certain on supports for individual workers and for businesses, I think at least uh, that will give a little bit less anxiety within households today, who I'd say are pretty depressed as to what was announced yesterday. Um, Minister, there is a question mark over how this might pan out in terms of, will it, if you're asking people to leave, as you say, having to have the restaurants cleared and the pubs cleared by eight o'clock, will that move socialising into private homes? And is that a concern? I think my understanding um, from from Neffet's advice is that they want to try and reduce socialisation by between 20 and 30 percent. I mean, I think the Irish people have demonstrated over the last number of weeks how how good they have been in terms of trying to reduce their own social contacts. Uh, And I think that they will do that. Um, And by having a cut off point, if you like, um, by eight o'clock, I think that should help. Um, So obviously there are four households allowed uh, in a house um, and we hope that the people will respect that. And and they do, uh, to be fair. But I I think... When we're told how how transmissible... Sorry to cut across. Mm. When we're told how transmissible this is, uh, and then you hear four households in one house for if it's for Christmas Day, we know that can be a a long affair. Mm. Um, Maybe if we just have a listen, because this this came up in the interview that the Tisha gave with Brendan O'Connor this morning. And uh, he was asked in relation to this, and this is what the Taoiseach said. I felt there is, and I have this view, that you could be pushing people too far, too fast, into, too early into households and so on, yeah. and that people do need to get out over the Christmas period and have a, one outing, at least. It could be early afternoon, it could be from that five to eight period or four to eight period, um, and just to give people some quality of life. Like, does that not have a bit of a bang of a meaningful Christmas off it? You know, to be to be saying I, I people, so. people I, I, need I, to get out and mix. W- well, they do, um, and you know, Christmas Day in particular. And I think you know, 
keeping it to four households. I mean, I'm not a medical expert, but this is what NEFIT is advising and government has accepted that. And, you know, and, and, and to be fair to David and um, to uh, Aidan, you know, they are, it is a very difficult time for people and people are very distressed. Um, uh, you know, but we want to have a season of festive cheer rather than festive fear if we can. But the difficulty with, with Omicron is that, it, as you say, it is very highly transmissible. It's two to four times. Um, you know, we're, you know, the, the Taoiseach, I, I listened to what he said. He talked about uh, it exploding in Europe. Um, the Taunch talked about it becoming fast and hard. So, you know, we had to be cognizant of that. The main thing now is that there are supports there for businesses um, and for people who are going to find themselves in difficulty over the next few months. Yeah. Well, I, I have no quarrel with the government on public health, but I do have a quarrel with the government in relation to the implementation of measures and a failure to plan in so many areas. And I'm not alone in this. If you look at the booster jab rollout, we all, of course, and I would assume the government want to as well, see as many people uh, getting the booster jab as quickly as possible. But we have seen uh, problems yeah. in that area, but also on antigen testing. I listened to what the Taoiseach said on antigen testing today. He said that we were slow to accept the culture of using antigen testing. Well, he sat on his hands and his government did for the best part of six months, even though the scientific advice and experts and the advisory group they set up was advocating something different. And the same then but, in but relation to... Do you to, accept but that the there, there was conflicting to, advice from, from Neffert and in it's the government, to But the government can't have it both ways and say they want to the different culture and then not bring that into play. The same with ventilation. They set an expert group up. I was in, just bear with me, I was in in a hospital yesterday uh, in an operating room and there was a a HEPA filter in the corner which the surgeon pointed out. Here's a HEPA filter. It works. It keeps it safe. There's one in this room here. There's a filter here, an air filtration system. We don't have them in schools. That's Mm -hmm. what frustrates people, that there are issues which are under the control of the government that they can't get right. I'm not quarrelling with the government on public health, but there are so many things that the government failed to do that adds to the real frustration that people have. Just on the antigen testing, and I'll yeah. let you respond to that, Minister, but on the antigen testing and this, this this statement that this is what we have to move towards, a culture of antigen testing that we just get used mm. to, if we're going to go out and meet people, that everyone uh, does an antigen test. I, that's hugely expensive on if you're a family, mm. if you've got a number of kids, if you need to test them all before you go to see uh, Granny on, on yeah. uh, at the weekend. That's uh, should we not be just saying, look, free antigen, if that's what we want, mm. we can't make it safer for some families ov- or over families who wouldn't yeah. have uh, well, the income well, to, to, to th- cover that. Th- Aldi and Needle, I think, are, are, are the cheapest places that, that I've seen anyway, where you can you can actually purchase them. But there are some free antigen tests in third level, for example, um, in schools, there are antigen yeah, tests given that's out not by the bring HSE a culture of antigen for testing. free. So uh, apparently there's about 160,000 that have already been, gi- been given out. Um, but, you know, just just to say in terms of the vaccination like we, we have already boosted 1.3 million people we hope to have 1.75 by the end of the year we've new vaccination centres opening up in Richmond Barracks in in um, in, in other areas um, we, they're open now from 8 to 8 where you can walk in or you can make an appointment I, don't think, I think everyone accepts that, that this has been ramped up and it's, it's working well now Just mm. I think most people would accept that but, mm. but you have to acknowledge that there was a three week time lag there from when NIAC gave the advice to move ahead with boosters and when the booster well, campaign it, got going it, it, you know, I would like things to happen yesterday. We all would in the middle of a pandemic, but it's just not realistic. And in fairness to all the health frontline workers and in the HSE and everywhere else, I really think they've put their 
shoulders the wheel and they're doing their best as far as they can to roll this out. But it, um, Minister, and there are a number it is, it is of measures there. Sorry, the pharmacies, sorry, we've grown from 700 pharmacies to 1,000. Oh. We have full oh, okay. uh, GP capacity. No, but it is realistic booster. two years into a pandemic to get things better because we got to a point where we were had it right on the vaccination rollout. What did the government do? They scaled down the capacity and didn't build in the flexibility to scale it back up again. That's on the government okay. and not on anybody else. OK, I want to move on to the question of schools because there are questions now about schools being kept open uh, to the bitter end, basically, uh, up until the Wednesday or Thursday of next week mm-hmm. before the Christmas <coughs> break. Uh, we saw um, the Christine Loscher, the, the uh, professor of immunology, saying uh, there this week that there will be thousands of cases of Omicron in schools next week. And we are actually sending Omicron home to families for Christmas. Yeah, I, uh, look, uh, keeping schools open or, or closing them next week is is not an easy decision to make. I mean, I, I find myself agreeing with both sides. But at the end of the day, when you consider what we are asking potentially to do if we did close schools, is to send children back into a situation where childcare is going to be an issue. And I know teachers hate when this is said because they don't feel well, they aren't babysitters. But if you close schools from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week, there's going to be a childcare issue. It's going to be an obvious knock-on effect that probably childcare and early year settings would have to close too. That means that uh, you know childcare arrangements going to have to be made within families. That means that grandparents are going to be brought into the mix. And if you close schools in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week, uh, it's also particularly damaging for children with disadvantaged areas, children with disabilities. You're asking parents with children with disabilities to mind their children. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week. That's not a small decision to make. And then if you do close them next week, it's going to be very difficult to open them in uh, January. Now, I would say no, this much. Sorry, I, d- I don't understand that logic. Surely well, you can I, make a decision for now on the circumstances that are now and then, you know, have a completely well, separate see, set of circumstances. Well, okay, I also don't feel we should be in a position to even to be having this discussion because, as David has quite rightly said, there are a number of things that could have been done Antigen testing was recommended last April by a expert group only brought in last month. HEPA filters were recommended 18 months ago, only financed for last um, last week. Um, you know, there's a huge number of things that the education system have been screaming about for the last number of years that haven't been responded to by government. The substitution issue is another issue that the minister seemed to be completely blindsided by, even though everybody was talking okay. about it. But my do, point is, do, though, look... What was your, do you support the school staying open? So if, ne- if, 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 if Neffet are happy for schools to stay open then I am happy for schools to stay open but I, I, I say and this are you Katie, happy when you hear yesterday at Katie, press conference I'm not, I'm not happy about anything none of us in this studio do you accept studio. what was said at the press conference last night which is that uh, schools are not drivers of infection and that I, look I have to look let's, let's be honest here I, I want the skill, I want children to be safe. I want teachers to be safe. I want SNAs to be safe. I was also advocating a number of months ago that we would boost school communities first on the basis that it would be better for us to have a, you know, frontline workers in our schools and our school system to remain open because it's profoundly damaging for schools to close. Don't suggest to any of us that we're happy for them to be open or closed in the middle of a pandemic. It is on balance if NEFRs are suggesting that it is safe for them to open Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or that, well, maybe safe is the wrong word, but they can open Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday under their advice, well, then we're going to have to go with that. But it's it's certainly not an easy decision to close schools. Uh, School, Minister. Yes, yeah, sc- I mean, schools are control settings, first of all, um, and asymptomatic children, you know, have a very low risk of transmission. 
um, you can never say. But you, you can see, never say. No, just 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 yeah. to finish. You can you can never say that anything is one hundred percent safe. Um, but you know the majority of health experts will say that schools are relatively safe compared to. And, and but just then we see. Can I just ask you? Because you know, last, I know the people out there are going uh, to be yeah, screaming to finish, at their radios. Yeah. I do need to put this to you because they, just, we we've been told for the, the last cases have been falling over the last number of weeks. They've stabilised. They have gone slightly yeah, down. And this is before yeah. Omicron have has mm-hmm. hit hit us right, but. We've seen where the where the increase in infection has been over the last couple of months, and it has been absolutely in the primary school age group, the the five to twelve year olds, and in their parents. And we are told last week just the, the actual, and we know there's very little, you know, data now available on on transmission. But where where we are, where we do have it, we see that schools were the main. Uh, place of there was more outbreaks in school settings well, as, last week than as, anywhere else. As you said, the cases have now stabilised. Uh, also, there's 62 million gone in for HEPA filters. Um, the, 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 the HSE expert uh, group on ventilation originally didn't actually recommend HEPA filters. And prior to that, about 37, Sorry? they didn't recommend HEPA filters uh, at the beginning. Um, and now the Minor Works grant is there Sorry, to when, provide sorry HEPA when filters. did they not recommend HEPA filters? Because the initial report that I saw said that well. in, in school yes. classrooms, in some classrooms, uh, where <laughs> ventilation with opening the windows isn't going to be sufficient, well, some classrooms will need well, HEPA the, filters. The, the department always follows... Uh, public health advice and follows uh, what, 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 what we are told effectively by the HSE Public Health. My understanding is that that working group on ventilation didn't recommend HEPA filters. However, that is not, the, that the is, minister... That is the, not the understanding I was, got that from was my understanding. But, but just, just to finish, there are th- 37,000 CO2 monitors have gone into schools. and um, The Minor Works uh, grant actually provides through the 62.0 million um, scope no not one size fits all every school is different so some require more ventilation others don't antigen testing is there available in schools for close contacts so if, if a child is found to be covid positive within a pod all of that pod uh, the, the HSE will send out antigen tests to those parents if there are two children with covid uh, within 7 days within a class and then they will also get oh. antigen testing and there's 600 million gone in to make sure that schools are safe um, and it is our intention that they will remain open and remain uh, and reopen again in January. David Cullinan. Well, none of us in this studio are public health experts and I believe it would be a mistake if politicians crossed the line and started to give public health advice and uh, interpret their own public health advice or devise their own public health advice. So we have to listen to public health experts. We set up all of these groups for a reason. So in relation to NEFID, and you heard from the CMO yesterday, they are repeating their view that the vast bulk of the transmission of the disease amongst the uh, uh, school-going children age is in the community and not in schools. I can, can completely understand how some parents would find that difficult to understand. We put that question yesterday to the CMO and he repeated that it is their view, based on the data, that it isn't uh, primarily driven by the school's opening. Now, that's their advice. But can I say this? I think it would be a mistake for us to move ahead of public health advice. We all want schools to remain open for as long as possible. I certainly got no sense from the CMO and from NEFID that they will be advising schools will be closed. That certainly wasn't their position. Mm. But obviously, if the advice changes, the advice changes. But I have to say, my clear understanding of the expert group on ventilation is that they did recommend air filtration systems in schools. And schools were screaming for us for months and it wasn't delivered. And I think what we need to do at the very least, whatever about the advice that's given is to make sure that as best we can, we can create the safest possible environment. So I repeat what I said right in front of me 
is an air filtrator yeah. and yet they're not in classrooms. Well, well, they, yeah, there is, the funding only was there in the last couple of weeks. But this it, is going on now for but, the better part of the six months. If I might, I wrote to the Minister of Education seeking a meeting on the 16th of November. We're still with all opposition spokespeople in education. We're yet to have that meeting. There was a statement on education on Thursday in the Dáil. The Minister stayed for half an hour. There was no junior minister in the chamber. That was a two-hour debate on education, uh, on health. One of the things that I recommended to the Minister is to stop treating every area in the country the same. Part of my constituency was the highest infection rate in the country a number of weeks ago. A school in that area had 55% of the kids out and half the staff out. So I think the department has to be an awful lot more pragmatic and proactive in dealing with individual schools in these high infection areas rather than sending out a grant and saying, you know, you're on your own here, lads. That sort of interaction, because in, in that school, with 55% of the children out, the principal was on the, on the phone trying to get public health teams to engage the school, couldn't get anybody on the phone for a week. There's a school in North County Dublin I spoke to, 10 days. So the support for schools in order to remain open, to be honest, and I said this in the dawn on Thursday, the reason why schools are open because teachers, SNAs and school communities have worked hard to keep them yeah, open, and, and not I, because I of the also, political leadership um, from the government. I said been, that also yeah. on Thursday in the Dáil, and just to say, um, uh, Adon wasn't there himself for the whole debate either. Because um, the minister you know, had left. Well, there was an education committee meeting on the 2nd of December, Adon, you weren't there um, in the morning. So, you know, uh, there was a minister a there minister. for the whole of, of the debate. Um, this is one of those no, that but, but just in relation to substitution, because that was raised, um, you know, the, I know that the Minister for Education has been working really close with the Teaching Council around that. Um, she has added an extra 200 posts, so there's 680 in terms of the supply panel now. Um, and and it's, it's really important that we make sure that, that there is adequate staff there and that there are adequate staff there and, and there is as far as, as I know, understand we, it. We were hearing from principals of schools this week um, on the Late Debate programme. They were calling in to us uh, like absolutely desperate, in desperate straits, saying they, the minor works grant that they're being asked to use now for uh, HEPA filters uh, in one case would only cover a quarter of the quote they had been given for HEPA mm. filters. Now it was a well, very big school but they were saying that, that the, the grant wasn't going to cover it and also questions about like what expertise do they have yeah. to understand well, just to you know, that, yeah, that there's a dedicated team you know, within the department There's a couple that, of and, people and apparently that's what to, we've been told to, to, to assist Nobody's, nobody's just, answering just to the phone just They're not to, getting to, on the phone for weeks that, That's not It is true well, well, then, then maybe if you let the Minister for Education know You're just calling the principals of You're just saying that the principals I'm talking to are not telling the truth. If I could just answer the question that that, that, that Katie was talking about. Um, I know that um, there... The, the department will also give assistance to, to help a school get an engineer or an architect in terms of getting a technical assessment if they need that. Um, so the Minor Works grant is really around reconfigure, you know, small reconfiguration or maintenance or electrical, and th- that type of thing. So each school is very different. So there are supports there for the schools to ring in. This dedicated team has been set up uh, to support them. But the, what's happening is they're ringing in radio programmes because they can't get the response they need from the department. Well, they should be getting like the me. response. Um, Can I just say know, what will drive people mad listening to this programme and they've been listening to very similar programmes over the last while is all of the excuses which are being rolled out for a failure to act. We're now talking about ventilation in schools. We've been talking about it for months. We have to stop talking about it. I really hope that when we come back in January, we're not still hearing the same excuses in relation to failures in that area, failures in antigen testing, failures in the booster jab rollout. Will the government just get their act together and make sure that the the solutions are properly resourced? Because you can't ignore ignore the difficulty schools are going through. You, Minister, Nobody because it's your ignored. area. Uh, yes. Vulnerable children yes. in this. Yeah. 
Is that the thinking behind, you know, this this keeping schools open, how important it is for those families? Aon it's important to, to, brought to, it up there. Yeah, and he's, and he's right to bring it up. I mean, it's it's important that all, that the 4,000 schools are kept open. Um, I mean, I have a Leaving Cert student myself this year um, um, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a fourth <coughs> year. But obviously children with additional needs. I mean, th- I'm the Minister for Special Education. I want to make sure that obviously special schools and special classes um, and, and children uh, with SEN and mainstream are looked after. But I don't want to pit, pit, pit one, you know, um, there, there was a situation against though, another because well, we want all schools. Education is important for everybody. Of course. But wasn't there a situation in pr- the previous lockdown where those classes and, and uh, those children were prioritised. They were prioritised to come back. And I'm, um, I'm sure families that are in that situation now will be wondering when we hear what might be coming our yeah, way I mean, in January. It's an essential service. Um, will and, they be prioritised again? The, the, I, 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 I would expect so. Um, you know, they, the, it, it, it's the regression that is so difficult for children uh, with additional needs. Okay, um, can it, and, and we yeah. put in place this year a number of supports, a number of programmes, the supplementary programme, the July programme and the class to assist them. But, it, but, but it's not always sufficient. Um, so we want to keep the schools open and make sure that they reopen uh, for children. Okay, with I have to go needs. to break. Before we go very quickly, when will leaving start students and you yeah, want to know this yourself Minister yeah. uh, when will they know what will yeah. happen with the Leaving well, Cert this it, year it's, it's, First of all it's, it's an answer for the Minister for Education not, not myself uh, it's not under my remit Have you asked um, her, given your my, own my situation under, My understanding um, so far is that uh, that there are various different options on the paper um, given so extra options um, so that, that's my understanding of what it's at at the moment anyway yeah, Can I just say Katie that and, and in fairness to the Minister it isn't her call but um, we are advocating now that the same thing will happen this year as happened last year. What's happening in secondary schools is that there is a substitute teaching crisis. A lot of students are not getting the type of leave insert tuition that they would previously have gotten. I think it would be a fair enough decision. And I think an important decision, not an easy decision, but an important decision for the for government to make right now is that they do leave insert 2022 as they uh, as they roll. So you have the option of doing option the, of a the written, exam written exam and, 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 a, the... and a success grade. Okay. Okay. We'll take a break. Saturday with Katie Hannan on RTE Radio 1. And you're welcome back. Now, a pessimistic scenario presented by NEFA to the government this week predicts around 30,000 COVID cases per day in January as Ireland's health system continues to be stretched to its limits. Latest figures from the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation shows that almost 5,400 people have been on trolleys so far this December. I'm joined on the line now by INMO General Secretary Phil Hay. Good afternoon, Phil. Good afternoon, Katie. Phil, we've all been asked, uh, we're all being asked to dig a little deeper now as we face into this. But for healthcare workers heading into our second Christmas of this, hugely challenging. Unbelievable. And I suppose they're um, very worried about um, the seriousness of what's facing them. Also, they're not confident that the message is getting out amongst the public about actually what's facing and the current state of our hospitals. And, of course, nobody likes all this bad news coming up to Christmas. And um, I think um, what they're saying to me, and I spoke to quite a number of nurses in the last 24 hours who were saying, I don't think people understand how serious this is. We have a hospital system that was stretched well before COVID, but going into the fifth wave, um, we're in serious, serious conditions. And, And they've asked me to give a couple of examples of what they're dealing with in their workplace on a daily basis. And I'm going to do that. And it is not easy to hear some of this but one nurse for example was standing with a patient who was very breathless in his 30s not vaccinated struggling for breath and saying i made the wrong decision he didn't make it 
the uh, number of people who are not vaccinated and who ha- are having very, very poor outcomes are just simply incredible at the moment. The effect that puts on the hospital, the pressure that puts on the hospital means that other patients who come for care that is not COVID-related are also compromised. So our messaging about the vaccination, while very good, has to really ramp up. We have to look at areas. We have to look at what messaging people who are not vaccinated, what, what messaging are they listening to? And we need, in, in the, the opinion of this nurse, we need to go back to telling people the numbers of people who are dying on a daily basis and the number of people who are really, really sick. Because if, if you don't hear it, you think it's actually not happening. And I suppose because they're, they're in the middle of this now and they're heading into another winter and um, they're saying, you know, the, the number of beds that are available is nothing like what's being reported by the HSE. I spoke to a, a nurse manager in charge of one of the biggest uh, ICUs um, last evening. She uh, had spent her day yesterday moving um, nurses from the ICU to areas where very sick patients, one woman being nursed prone, which is a, which is a you know, t- to assist with oxygenation, you have to nurse people differently. And uh, these people are on wards now, very, very sick on wards. So people who no would have been, so, sorry, Phil, just to be clear about that, you're who saying the people who ICU. should be, would normally have been in ICU, but because there's no who room should, in ICU. Who should, be, who should be in ICU, who are not in ICU. And you have ward staff who are very, very, very tired, but also uh, very nervous because they're dealing with people now who are extraordinarily sick. So uh, be, this is before, and we, we know we've, we have faced, and I think the nursing and, and, and midwifery professions have faced the onslaught of COVID with the mentality of we'll go to work, we'll do our best, and we will give as much as we can. But when we say they are exhausted, and when we say they're absolutely becoming themselves unable to keep going, that's the time for the decision makers and the politicians to not try and be popular but to make the very hard decisions that are needed now to keep the workforce in place and to give them some chance of dealing with what they're facing and what they're going to face. Because our hospital system, unfortunately, our public hospital system doesn't have the capacity. We're still arguing about private hospitals coming on the pitch. And this nurse manager told me she made four phone calls to private hospitals who refused to take patients on transfer. So look, we're not politicians, we're not the decision makers, but I don't think the debate uh, really needs to continue about whether or not our health services can cope. They're not coping. Every single provider must be made available and it must happen this week we also need to look at... Do you, do you um, think, sorry, Phil, just are you saying there are your members saying to you that they don't think the restrictions announced this week are going to go far enough? I think they, they're incredulous about people having debates about whether it's five o'clock or eight o'clock when they're facing what they're facing. Yeah. Yeah. Genuinely, I think they, they're saying, uh, do, do people really understand or are the government afraid to tell people what the situation is actually like at the moment and what, what's going to face us? When you're, when you're 
talking to patients' relatives on the phone because they can't visit, and that patient is not going to make it. I think you bring a very different perspective to the debate you've just had with your panel, but also the debate about, um, you know, why we must make decisions that are very difficult to make in the next number of weeks. There is light at the end of the tunnel. We know that. We know that if we buckle down and we really try and deal with what's coming next week, what's here already, but what is going to get a lot worse, we have some chance of getting out of this in, in January and February with less people having fatal outcomes. It's as simple as that. OK. Uh, can I just uh, put what you said there to, to you, Minister? Yeah. I mean, I think Phil, Phil at the cold face, so you know, so she knows what's going on, and I, I think it's actually helpful that she's speaking today for for listeners to see the seriousness and the gravity of where we're at. Um, I mean, I know we're putting twenty one billion into health in, in this budget, um, but it obviously has to be targeted to the right places. Um, uh, the system is under severe pressure. Our frontline workers have been working for whatever twenty two months, and um, as she said, they're absolutely exhausted and weary. It, um, we it, only have three hundred and twenty one ICU beds by the end of this year. So, you know, can I can it, I just ask it, you in relation? It just to that reinforces about the public the, health message about the, what what Phil said there about <clears throat> the phone calls to the private hospital refusing to take patients. Mm-hmm. Surely that that is uh, something that uh, the minister for health should have sorted out and absolutely cleared the lines on by now. I, I don't have enough knowledge in relation to that uh, issue, but obviously I can bring it to Minister Donnelly and see what, what's transpiring there. I, I don't know why that will be happening. Uh, David? Yeah, well, listen, obviously what Phil said is hard to disagree with. We, we obviously have to not just listen to public health advice, we have to heed it and we all have to act. And, and that's a responsibility in all of us as individuals, but also... It's on the political system to make sure that the message gets through that this is a very serious situation. I was in 14 hospitals in the last three months. I met with hospital managers, with nurses, healthcare assistants, consultants, and the message was the same. It's a really difficult situation. Obviously, uh, over the last couple of weeks, they have seen an increase in COVID cases, but also a massive increase in people with respiratory illnesses, 70% increase in children, for example, in the children's hospitals. The levels of unscheduled care is frightening for this time of the year. The Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation's trolley count was record numbers last week. All of that's really difficult, and that's before we get to January. And I just want to make one point about the budget just gone, because the issue here is capacity. One of the things the government didn't do is to make sure that we had we have safe staffing levels in the hospitals as we speak. There was a number of nurses that had to protest outside hospitals because we didn't have enough staff in some of the ICUs. And that's a really problematic situation. There was a, a framework put in place for safe staffing a number of years ago it hasn't been properly resourced and equally okay, in the budget just gone in, the, time quick, is, the budget is, just gone not one single additional inpatient bed above what was previously committed so we just haven't put the capacity into healthcare that we we needed Aon. to do yeah, I, mean, <clears throat> I think people need to listen to what Phil Nihay is actually saying there's a reason why the Labour Party are the only opposition party to have supported government's restrictions um, in the last number of months consistently because of what Phil Nihay is saying because we understand absolutely what the front care wor- front line workers are doing and it does absolutely make a nonsense of what Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, backbenchers and senators, did yesterday in creating an absolute circus around the potential for a five, five o'clock or eight o'clock closure yesterday. That's the thing they got excited about, not the crisis that's in our healthcare system. If, if they were to go out in the plinth as quickly because of what Phil has just said there, I'd take them an awful lot more seriously. They look like 
circus clowns yesterday on the That pitch. was a very poor look, Josephine Madigan, wasn't it? Well, you know, I, I can't speak on behalf of each public representative that went out. Everybody has their own minds. Quite a few um, Fine Gael, senior, uh, senior yeah, Fine Gael voices. And, you know, uh, I, I, Michael I, Ring, Regina Doherty. Yeah, and they have their own views. Uh, it mightn't be my view, and they, <coughs> they, ha- they have their views. That's it. Um, and, you just shrugged you know, your shoulders. Everybody's... No, you did. Sorry, I, just, I just saw I you. That, I think shrugged your shoulders. That's that's personal, as you, as you tend to do. Um, I, what what I'm saying is that I don't speak on behalf of my colleagues. Well, then criticise them, condemn their, them. It's there. Say they were wrong. No, but okay. But, can but, you leave, but, the, uh, leave the minister actually, respond, please? It, tra- it changed uh, from five o'clock to eight o'clock. Um, so perhaps their advocacy had had some purpose as far as they're concerned to roll um, back that, on public that health they, advice. They, they wanted cabinet to know that you know we have a voice too in the parliament in our respective parliamentary parties, and we want to be heard too. And they have a job as, as a public representative were, the way that you do. If you were a nurse or a doctor mm. uh, in the situation that Phil described there and mm. you saw that that was what our public representatives uh, priority yeah. was yesterday. As I said, it's not my view, um, but they're entitled to the wrong. So and what was even more incredible, wrong. Katie, very quickly is that they have access to government ministers. They have access to the public health advice that was given directly to the Cabinet subcommittee. I waited until I was briefed by the public health, ex- health experts before I came to any conclusion. So I think it was very unseemly to see government senators and mm-hmm. TDs run to the plinth like hairs yesterday to talk about okay. Okay, some of those well, we've made that point. I just want to give not Phil, to deal Phil, with what was happening in the Phil hospitals Nihig, do you want, I'll just give you the last word before I let you go Phil again I, again, I think um, you know we know the state our health service was in prior to um, COVID coming to the country nurses and midwives the numbers that we've been dealing with haven't been funded for we know that um, but that's not going to change this week or next week. What needs to happen now is the capacity that we need is not available to us in the public health service. I, I would make two requests of government. One, open up the entire health service right now to make sure that we have assistance from the private hospital system and also engage at national level with LEAF in order to ensure that those workers who will not have employment in other sectors, that they are supported and that we have the proper remedy in place to make sure that people have an okay. income. But the bottom line is, um, it, it cannot be a matter of debate as to whether we should have capacity in our hospitals, because if, if we don't, and if we don't make these very unpopular decisions very soon, unfortunately, the numbers who are going to have uh, adverse outcomes in January and February are just not going to be... Um, at all avoidable. Okay. Okay, Phil Nihay, many thanks. Uh, I'll let you go. And just before we leave COVID, the COVID question, we've had a statement in from Dermot O'Leary uh, from the NBRU and he's calling for a reduction in capacity uh, on buses and trains. He says a considerable number of buses and trains, depending on the time of day and location, are still carrying up to 100% of the vehicle's capacity. And in some cases, there isn't even a window that can be opened in, in some of these carriages uh, or some of these buses. He says that he's had no engagement at all from the Department of Transport, despite uh, writing directly to the minister about it. I, I, that's I, something that wasn't mentioned at all yesterday. Just yeah, I, I don't understand why why that would be the case. Um, minister, you know, I, again, I'm sure Minister Ryan or, or somebody will will tell him about this interaction, and and perhaps maybe he he, he could address that. But just in my understanding in relation to transport in general uh, is that Enfit will advise if there needs to be a change from the 100% capacity. There's obviously enhanced cleaning, there's sanitation. 
there's PPE. Um, but, but we you know, know if it needs to be revisited, yeah, and so if it needs to be revisited, I'm, I'm no doubt it's down Ryan will it. engage uh, with, with the yeah, stakeholders. We, we, uh, we, we uh, got in touch with the Department of, Edge of Transport and uh, I have a statement. I'll just give you the key line from it is. Uh, while there is likely to be a natural d- reduction in the numbers using public transport as a result of recent announcements, public transport services, frequency and capacity are continuing as normal. The National Public Health Emergency Team has not recommended any changes to public transport capacity. Does that surprise you, David Cullinan? Um, yes, is is the short answer. But I think what we need is a, a direct negotiation with the frontline trade unions to represent the workforce in, in transport. And it isn't just on, on this issue. I think over the last while, and I've engaged with the MBRA, they feel that they haven't had sufficient engagement with the National Transport Authority, with the Department of Transport. In all of these issues, I can't move ahead of public health advice. But obviously, we have to listen to people who are working in the sector, uh, to those bus drivers and train drivers and others okay. and and also factor in their concerns into uh, the decision making. Okay, we'll take a break. Tweet at Saturday RTE. Now, just in the time we've left to us, I want to touch on that really shocking report uh, that was published this week. This is the executive summary of the Brandon report into sexual abuse of intellectually disabled adults in that HSE run centre in County Donegal. 108 assaults on 18 very vulnerable adults uh, with the full knowledge of staff and, and management uh, over a period of uh, you know two decades. Uh, Minister, it, it, the mind boggles that this uh, could have uh, been allowed to happen in so recently. Yeah, it completely beggars belief um, how staff seem to have the knowledge in relation to this. Um, how management I, I, refused I, I, to act on it. I, I can't understand and I, I very much welcome we should, the fact We should that say some staff did do their best despite a, a culture where it was not encouraged to bring this to, to, yeah, to, it, it, to the fore it, it and ap- they were bullied out of it. Yeah, it, it appears so from the executive summary. Um, I very much welcome the fact that, that Anne Rabbit you know, is looking now to bring draft national policy on safeguarding of adults um, you know, in social care and in health and in disability. Do we need a approval. policy or do we need legislation and Well, we may need legislation legislation to underpin it. Um, there's a there's a steering uh, group as well that's looking at it, but hopefully this situation can never arise again. It's just harrowing and sickening. Aon. Yeah, I think we need the full report to be published. I just want to acknowledge the work of the whistleblower and also the work of Thomas Pringle. I think it shows a, a good parliamentarian doing his doing his, his work well. And also I would say I do have faith in Anne Rabbit as Minister to, to, to you know do what needs to be done in this regard. But I thought this was all past. I thought we were, this was all in, 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 in our in our past as a nation and we have to learn serious lessons from this and unfortunately well not unfortunately, people are gonna to have to be shown the door as a result of this. People should be fired. You cannot have What's happened? If you cannot let what happened happened without serious ramifications, in my view. Uh, David Cullinan. The report, first of all, needs to be published in full as soon as is possible. Obviously, it's very harrowing. We have been here before in terms of the Grace case and other issues. Of course, there has to be uh, accountability at an organisational level within the HSE, but also individuals have to be held to account. So, I would agree with Aon. We need absolutely accountability. We hadn't had that in relation to the Grace case either and I think that that is disgraceful. We also need to see the adult safeguarding legislation which was committed to and promised and that needs to ensure that we have mandatory reporting and a legal right of entry for social care teams and for others to be able to investigate allegations of abuse. Astoundingly, that's not possible at this point in time. They have to be invited yeah, just, into just, an institution just to, just to, say to, very briefly to that, investigate. Uh, I know Minister is working with the AG in terms of publishing the report. Okay, okay. Well, we'll have to leave it there then. That's 
it from us for today and indeed for 2021. I want to thank all my guests throughout the year and to you for listening and taking part in the show. Today's producer was Penny Hart. Research was by Andrew Fleming. The broadcast coordinator was Elaine Conlon and Dave Gibson was on sound. Have a lovely Christmas if you can and stay tuned now for Saturday Sport with John Murray and Des Cahill.